Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I've had a subject that's been rolling around in my head for quite some time, and elements of it have come out in my preaching over the last several months. So I've kind of hinted at it a little bit, but I've never actually tried to pick up this subject and deal with it directly And I'm going to try to do that today. I'm not entirely sure how to get into it, but I want to start by reading Exodus 15, 11. This is a line from the Song of Moses. This is what they sang after they crossed the Red Sea. This is kind of a song of praise unto God. And there's one line here that sticks out and kind of falls along the lines of the theme that I have in my mind today. Verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? That is the God of the Bible. And the part that I'm going to try to focus on today is those last two words, doing wonders. There's a lot in that, and there's a lot in it that is being rejected, not only in broader society today, but also within the domain of what you would call Christianity today. There are many Christian groups who have said, we're going to take the doing wonders portion out of what we believe about God. We don't really believe that God is doing wonders. We believe the world is run by things scientific and naturalistic, and we have learned so much from science that we now understand that many things that religion might have pointed to in the past and said this was something God did and was doing wonders is really just the ignorance of a people in the ancient Near East who didn't know any better. They didn't understand things about science. And so they attributed things that were natural and maybe unusual to God who's doing wonders. But this is not the testimony of the Bible. And the Christian faith lays hold of this. If you don't leave with anything other than this affirmation today, then I'll say this will have been profitable for you. The Christian faith believes that the totality of things which transpire is a combination of things in the natural world, natural things, if you will, and things that are supernatural. We believe there is a God that transcends nature. He is the creator of nature. He came up with the system of nature. It's well-ordered. We've come to understand much more about it as human beings, as we've studied these things. But this domain of science does not contain the complete tool set required to describe all of human history. It just doesn't. The Bible's very plain about it, and this is one of those things, if you're thinking, I want to be a Christian, you should confront this issue head on. If you're in the realm of saying, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to believe that God does wonders and that there's anything out there that's supernatural, that He transcends the natural world around us, I would suggest this. You'd be better off saying, I don't really want to be a Christian. What you want to be is a naturalist who wants to somehow put on the name of Christ to take away your reproach among religious people. Right? Well, I'm a Christian. I don't want you to get on my case because I'm not a Christian. I will call myself a Christian. I just don't believe that God does wonders. Well, the moment you take God doing wonders off the table... You've really taken the whole nature of him being God off the table, right? And you're in the realm of saying it's really all about nature and science and those sorts of things. And that is not 
true. It's simply not true. Now, how am I going to prove that to you? Well, anyone who spent any amount of time with the Bible is going to affirm, well, what Brother Dan is saying there is true. The Bible has numerous accounts of miraculous things where God is doing wonders. I mean, it's just throughout the Bible, right? So it's very difficult to contest, but rather than just assert it, I am going to give you an example. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to start in about verse 12. So who are you going to follow in this world? This is really kind of the theme. I know in recent years there's been a lot made of the notion of follow the science. This is a very common notion in the world, and there's a lot of ideas attached to that, follow the science. And I'm sure we could list out many, many of them. But I'm telling you this, while there may be things where following what is legitimate science is a very valid approach to how you would manage things. I'll give you an example. We know that if you walk off of a high precipice, you're going to fall to your death, right? I would say that is a scientific observation, albeit one that's crudely expressed before you, right? We can all talk about the underpinnings of science that are within that 32 feet per second per second, right, is the rate at which something accelerates. If it's not impeded by uh, the atmosphere, and we can get into all of the different ways that that might be explained by science. But that is a scientific precept that, apart from God's intervention, is going to be in play, and you do well to live by that observation, right? They say lots of people go to the Grand Canyon, and every year some of them just fall off. That thing is huge. It's a giant hole in the earth, for those of you not aware. It's the Grand Canyon. It's like the big hole, right? So big that they can't afford to put railings all the way around it. And we live in a world where if you don't have a railing to protect everybody from everything, you know, they'll just run right off into oblivion. And they do it every year at the Grand Canyon. There's people out there just think, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's only a mile down. And they just walk right over the edge. You know, they've lived in a world where they're so used to having guardrails all around them, preventing them from killing themselves that they just lose sight of this. And you know what? They become victims to this notion of not following the science, if you will, right? That's a clear example. But the thing I'm going to tell you is this. Following the science has its limitations. And those limitations that I'm going to set before you today are the limitations placed on it by the Word of God. The Word of God places limitations on the realm of science. And... One of the reasons I think it's so important for us to really clearly understand this is because I was reading an article this morning that was talking about the precipitous decline in American society of people being involved with organized Christianity and religious traditions. I'm not talking about the old Baptists. We've got a falling off as well, but that's only part of in the broader realm of Christianity, so to speak. People are rejecting This idea that I'm setting before you, which is that the totality of events in this world are composed of natural things and also supernatural things. And many people are just saying, no, it's all in the realm of nature, all of it. We're rejecting all of the supernatural. That is becoming so prevalent that I think it's important that God's people actually understand you believe in the supernatural, and that's part of the Christian faith. Now, let me give you an example of that. Starting in verse 12, chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel... And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, 
thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. That is not the science. Who are you going to follow? You going to follow the Lord? Are you going to follow science? If you're going to follow science, you're going to say, well, that's just a lie. That's just an old Hebrew myth. It didn't happen. Jesus didn't do that. The science is never going to support that some man, by the power of his own voice, healed a man of leprosy instantaneously. You see, the following the science has its limitations, does it not? That's because we believe in a supernatural God who is able to do things beyond the realm of science because He has dominion over science. He created science. And He can do things outside the laws of science as we regard them. And He charged him to tell no man but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. You find this several times in the New Testament. It's incredible to me. I mean, I can't even imagine... That you've been healed of leprosy, and then Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it. Now, if you've been dealing with leprosy where your skin is literally falling off of your body, and you are so contemptible and grotesque that people will not come within any reasonable distance of you, you have to announce your presence because they know that you're unclean. They're afraid they're going to get it too. You are just this totally contemptible person in society. And here the Lord has removed this from you, and He says, well, don't tell anybody about it. Can you imagine I mean, it's like winning the lottery and then being told, well, don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell your family, you know. Don't let anybody know that you, this incredibly great thing just happened to you. I don't know. It's incredible to me. But that's what the Lord said nevertheless. He charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded. For a testimony unto them. I don't know that this is the right interpretation of this, but I'll say this. For us, seeing God do wonders is a wondrous thing, is it not? I mean, you would want to say, I want to tell everybody about this. I mean, I know people who come into my life and they'll tell me some relatively mundane thing that happened in their life that they thought was pretty exciting. They'll go on and on and on about it. and they'll, Sometimes I'm kind of like, okay, it's enough. It's not that big a deal, Right. But here's something that is truly amazing. And you're told not to tell anything about it. And it would have to be a wondrous thing for the person for whom this happened. And part of me says, you know, God looks at this and says, I know it's wondrous to you. It is wondrous from the standpoint of human capability. You can't do these things, but I'm God. It's no big deal for me. Go do as you ought is kind of what Jesus said. It's no big deal for me to be able to do this because I'm God. I don't know if that's what God was thinking in that, but I do believe it's far more remarkable to us a people whose faith waxes and wanes than it is for God to see what He can do. God knows what He can do. And it's no big deal to Him. Verse 15, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of Him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him of their infirmities. Are they following the science? Are they following the Lord? These are some people who are willing to say, I believe that science hasn't been able to do anything for me. The medical profession of this world has not been able to heal my leprosy, cure my blindness, 
restore my withered hand or any of those things. I'm going to go see Jesus. I'm going to follow the Lord because the science is not going to get me there. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed and a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Here's some people who are not following the science. They're following the Lord. They've heard there's a man who does wonders here. This brother here stands in need of a wonder being done because there's no doctor that's going to fix his situation. But I want you to see something in this. These people believe in the wonders that God can perform, but they're willing to use things that are within their temporal sphere of control to try to ensure that this man gets before the Lord. You follow me? You could take this idea of God doing wonders to such an extent that you leave out the part where you have some measure of responsibility to try to get to the Lord. You see what I'm saying? I have heard old Baptists say things like, well, you know, maybe there's someone who's, who should be in the church. We know they should be in the church. And well, if they're going to get in the church, Lord's going to just have to move on them and bring them into the church. Well, I understand the sentiment. And theologically, I agree. God must touch a man's heart and give him a willingness, a hunger and thirst for righteousness for him to sincerely approach the kingdom of God and want to become a member of the church and follow the Lord in discipleship. I agree with that. But what I'm going to tell you is that there are innumerable people who are in a regenerate state who it is totally within their capacity to go seek the Lord and they just won't do it. It is within their capacity. These men didn't say, well, you got the palsy, brother. That's rough. I know there ain't no doctor going to cure you. Jesus can heal you. But you know, if the Lord wants you to be healed, He's going to levitate you up over the top and down into the room. We're not going to lift you up. We're not going to take you down there. We're not going to do the stuff that we could evidently do to get you to the Lord for this temporal blessing. We're just not going to do that because we think the Lord's going to handle that part of it too. I'm telling you, there are temporal blessings that many, many of God's people miss out on just because they don't move toward the Lord. The Bible says, follow the Lord, right? And we'll see that here in a minute. And when he saw their faith, Jesus saw their faith. Now, did they come up and say, well, we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. There's no testimony of that. How did Jesus see the faith that these men had? How did Jesus see that these men are looking at him saying, here's a God that does wonders. How did he see it? They didn't say anything to him. He sees them lowering some guy through the roof. It's a crazy scene. Can you imagine if someone thought I could heal and, then, and, and they're lowering people through the roof here, this light fixture moves out of the way, somebody lowering somebody down? It would be a crazy scene. It would be crazy because someone would think I could heal somebody. 
You'd be doubly crazy. But in this instance, you've got a God that works wonders, and these people believe it, and He sees their faith because He sees what they're doing. He sees these people know that it's important that they bring this brother to God where he can be healed. This is healing in a temporal sense, you understand. They're not bringing him here because we don't get to Jesus. You're going to split hell wide open. That is not what's being done here. This is a temporal matter. And what we're dealing with in the here and now is temporal matters. Everybody gets all bent out of shape about the difficulties of their temporal matters. And there's salvation in the Lord in temporal matters. And by the way, the Lord can work wonders in your temporal matters. And He evidently has. He saw their faith because they were actually doing something. They were living lives that demonstrated that we believe this is the God that works wonders. And we want to bring our brother to Him because we think He can be healed. And when He saw their faith, He said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Well, there's a healing there. Not exactly what they had in mind. You know what? There's people out there washed by the blood of Christ who have not darkened the door of the Lord's church, whose sins are forgiven them, and they may not really even realize that. They may be laboring under any number of false religious notions that permeate our society that make them think, well, if I, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and I know this person over here says I got to do this to be good and I'm supposed to do these things. And they're laboring under this notion. But if they come into the kingdom of God, they're going to hear this testimony. Your sins are forgiven because they're going to hear the gospel that says Jesus Christ took care of that debt. It's not about what you're doing and how well you're doing and all that stuff. That's the confusion and nonsense of the world. Many people think that's the gospel. I heard the gospel and said, if I do A, B, C, and D, then everything's going to be good. No, you didn't hear the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus took care of all that, and those who believe it can rest in that notion. Now, serve Him. He is the God who works wonders. By the way, that's the greatest wonder of all. The most difficult work ever assigned to anyone was the work of removing the sins of God's people that was placed upon Jesus Christ. You can come into the kingdom of God and you can find out that your sins have been forgiven. By the way, your finding out about it does not institute the moment when those sins were forgiven. You see what I'm saying? I could point out to a young child who their parent is and they might say, oh, so that's my father. I, I get it now. Let's understand who this person is now. You might explain that to someone. It doesn't mean that that's the moment that that person became a son or that's when they became their father. Just a moment of realization. Very powerful to God's people. Many people think it's so powerful they think that's when I was regenerated. It's not. Were you not regenerate, you wouldn't have been able to receive that message in the first place. It's the moment when you started to understand something about it though. And that's a powerful thing. So you can learn that through the gospel that your sins have been forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, you know what? There's more truth in what they're saying there than they realize. You know, you can be right about something and be dead wrong. You ever thought about that? Here they're saying, Nobody but God can forgive sins. Who is this? No one but God can forgive sins. Guess what? This is God. You're right and you're wrong. <laughs> You're right that only God can forgive sins. You're wrong in not recognizing that this is God manifest in the flesh. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say rise up and walk? 
but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Did he do that by following the science or by following the Lord? Here's some people who had faith in God, brought a brother in Christ to the Lord and received a temporal blessing in that. That was supernatural. This is the plain testimony of the Bible. This is why I said at the beginning of the service, if you say, well, I just don't really believe those supernatural stories in the Bible. You're not a Christian in the conventional sense. You may have some nominal profession of Christianity, but the Christian faith is very clear. We worship the God that does wonders, and Jesus Christ is a wonder-working God. Amen. That's what He did. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Yeah, you have. You know what you saw? You saw some supernatural things. You saw some things that aren't following the science. We saw evidence of the God who transcends all of this. After these things, verse 27, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. He didn't say to Matthew, follow the science. He certainly didn't say to Matthew, follow the way that's going to seem the most logical in terms of how you're going to get ahead in your society. As a Jewish person that's working as a tax collector in the Roman government, he's already got a pretty good job, right? He's enfranchised in the system, right? And so, in one sense, if you think about it from the standpoint of the carnal mind, here's this itinerant Jewish preacher who comes up to you, and you're sitting in the middle of a serious, good-paying job, and he says, follow me. You're going to follow what feels right in your carnal heart? I had a brother tell me the other day, I think it was Brother Randy maybe, we were talking about this. There's these instances in the Bible where the Lord comes up and says, follow me. And these people just put out whatever they're doing, they go off and follow him. And he shared this, I think it was you. And uh, I had the same thought. It's like sometimes I think, man, what if, if I'd have been back there, would I have followed the Lord? If the Lord came to me in the middle of my day and, hey, follow me. I got this. I got some stuff I got to do. Can I call you later? <laughs> I mean, I'm seriously. I, I I worry about that. That in and of itself is a pretty miraculous testimony that these people would see something of the Lord in that moment and be like, "This is way more important than whatever I'm doing here. This is way more important than me being a tax collector here and having this job. I got to follow the Lord." Well. You know, the, the notion of science is really knowledge, right? And so there's a following of the science in that regard, a following of knowledge, following of the carnal knowledge, which would incline a man to say, you know, I, I need to stay here. I'm paying my bills. I'm kind of getting ahead. I might get a promotion next year. I think I'll stay here. You know, I'll watch Jesus from afar, and I won't follow him. I'll just stay here. Know when to hold him is what Kenny Rogers said, right? I'm not going to try anything else. I'm going to stick with where I am. But Jesus says, follow me. And if we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to have to follow Him knowing that He transcends nature. It's bigger than just the natural world. You know, 
I was looking at what people have recently said or in the last century or so have said about this orderly universe. The natural world is very orderly and science has made many progressions. There is a great sense in which science is a real thing. There is a real notion of science out there. The Bible also speaks of what's called science falsely so-called, which is the over-asserting of scientific ideas beyond the realm of what's appropriate in science. A good example is just people who say, well, we've understood, we know enough about science now to explain where man comes from and, and with the origin of the universe and all those things. That is science falsely so-called. It is stretching beyond the domain of what science can explain. You see, science, the toolkit of science, is confined and restricted to just the natural world. It cannot explain, it can't even allow the possibility of a supernatural occurrence. And so it discounts all those things, like the creation of the world, which is clearly told to us as a miraculous, wondrous thing. It says, no, that has to somehow fall within the domain of science, too. Maybe we just hadn't quite figured it out yet. That's how they try to explain it. But the Bible's testimony is that there are natural things that happen, and there are supernatural things that happen, and the total domain of all things that do happen contains both of those elements. So if you have a toolkit that is restricted to just one of them, you're never going to be able to explain all things that have come to pass. The orderliness of the natural world has been discovered to a very great degree. You know, in the last several hundred years, we've gone from thinking, you know, the sun revolves around the earth to thinking, you know, the earth is the center of the, our solar system or the universe. And then, then the sun is the center of the universe. And now we don't know where the center of the universe is as far as science is concerned, right? Uh, we've had those sorts of things crop up. And the degree of precision to which science and math can explain and even predict things like the movement of the planets is extremely high. Right? Those mathematical models are very reliable now. And they do explain something about the motions of this ordered universe and the natural laws that God put in place. I believe it was Einstein that said, as he began to ponder like how the world is put together, and he's seeing this incredible precision of how all this fits together mathematically to a degree that most of us will never have any notion of. I mean, he's really down in the weeds of how the math works and things like this. And he's looking at it, and he steps back from it, and he says, I see that God had this tremendous precision in how he put this together. The question I'm asking is, it's so precise and so exact in how it fits together. Could he have possibly been able to do it any other way? Right? He's, he's like wondering it. It fits together so perfectly. I can't imagine that there would be another system out there where it could fit together perfectly and not be this one. Because this one is just unbelievably precise in how he was looking at it. Interesting observation, I think. Science has its place, but it's not every place. And I want to show you one of the ways that I think this is incredibly important. I've mentioned this before. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 is a timely passage given this Advent season that we're in, in the broader world of Christianity. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now let me tell you something. If you're not going to go with the supernatural, 
If you don't believe that there's something that transcends science here, this testimony is straight crazy. Think about it. You're engaged to a woman, and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, and it's of the Holy Ghost. Where are you going to be if you're going to believe the science on this? Science is not going to support that testimony at all. In fact, the world pours contempt on this idea, right? I mean, well, I mean, we know that virgins don't give birth. We know that. That's not the science. If you're going to follow the science on this one, you're not a Christian in the conventional sense because you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This is the clear testimony of the Bible. It's irrefutable. And I honestly don't even understand why someone would say, I want to be a Christian if they don't believe this testimony. Because if they don't believe this testimony, they're just saying, well, it's really just a bunch of mythology. It's lies. It's, it's things that people who are ignorant wrote, and they didn't really understand anything else. And they, they were too scientifically unsophisticated to actually understand that this is straight crazy. And instead, they made a religion out of it. Well, why would you want to be part of that crazy religion? If that's the truth, if it's all follow the science and virgins don't give birth, why are we even here? Follow the science is fine, but it has its limitations, and its limitations are founded in the Word of God. This is the truth. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now there's an old Baptist verse, if ever there was one. But I'm telling you this, if what's found in verse 20 is not true, what measure of confidence can you have that what's found in verse 21 is true? You're going to believe Jesus, oh, I, I believe he saved his people from their sins. Well, that's good. If he's not born of a virgin, though, if there's a lie in the previous verse, why are you going to believe there's truth in the next verse? It's absolutely central that we accept this notion. If we strictly follow the science in all things, we're going to have to reject the virgin birth of Christ. And that's not what the Christian religion does, because the Christian religion says that there are things that do transpire that are outside the realm of natural things. Let me give you one more example, maybe here as we close. Luke chapter 9. Now this is a miracle too, but for some reason, my, maybe it's my carnal mind, tells me that this, this miracle is easier to believe than the virgin birth. <laughs> I mean, I think somehow people might be more inclined to believe this than, than the, uh, the virgin birth, which is true. Perhaps because it's not dealing with childbearing or whatever, but verse 14, for there for they were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up of the fragments that remained to them twelve baskets." Now, five loaves and two fishes is never going to get you there. I'm going to tell you that 
if you had five loaves and two fishes and you told the crowd, the 5,000, we only got five loaves and two fishes. Ain't nobody getting anything to eat. Throw those in the baskets. You're not going to end up with the amount that's left here. Even if nobody ate anything, they didn't have that much left. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. Well, brother, we've got to follow the science on that. And this is what the world is doing. It's coming in and trying to apply the science to the faith. I think it disturbs a lot of God's people. They feel intimidated by it. But you're starting from a completely different presupposition. God's people approach this with the presupposition that God is supernatural. He does wonders. And we accept that. What happens if you don't accept that? And that's kind of where many things are going. I've noticed uh, there's a lot of kind of secular prophets in our world today. People who have a lot of observations that I think Christian people would agree with. Maybe they're related to traditional gender roles or uh, traditional roles in society, um, different aspects of behavioral science or whatnot. I'm thinking of people like Jordan Peterson that come to mind. I hear him speak and I see lots of observations he has and conclusions he comes to that I would agree with. But as is often the case, when you look at people that you agree with who have a very different worldview, if you trace their ideas further upstream, you find they're coming from a different location. And God's people seem to be inclined to want to agree with a lot of these things because they, under, they, they agree with some of the conclusions they see published out there. But there's a subtle aspect of this which is like, but his conclusions are founded on presuppositions like evolution and psychology. Right? And unfortunately, there are many people today who when they see that Uh, sheen of credibility. Well, he's got scientific reasons why he is asserting these things. And our evolution has made us this way. They seem to say, well, that, that, that sounds more credible. That sounds like something, an idea that I could present before others and maybe not be, have contempt heaped upon me. But in reality, a lot of things that he's seeing are not the result of evolution. They're the result of man's creation and his fall. That's why man is the way he is in many ways. So this evolutionary uh, kind of point of view where it's starting to adopt the science in all things um, has a lot of problems. If it's all science, we'll close on this. What if it's all science? There is no God that's working wonders. Everything can be explained by science. We may not have that explanation today, but given sufficient time, enough chalkboards, pencils, and papers, and computers to figure it out, we will eventually get to where we can explain all these things with science. What if that's what it is? Well, the Bible's wrong about several things, if that's the case. Creation. The Bible's wrong about that. God didn't create the world. It just kind of fell into existence. Sheer happenstance, this thing came, came into being. You are time and slime. I used to say this about my uh, junior high school biology class. Had, had, uh, the syllabus in that class had three points. Sit down, spit out your gum, believe you're an ape. That's all you got to do. The whole class is, you're an ape. You ready for the final? What are you? I'm an ape. You get an A. That's what it is. 
a lot of other points in there, but at the end of the day, it's convincing you that you are an ape. Well, you're not an ape. Evolution did not create what we have here today. God created Adam and Eve, and we are their children. So you're not an ape. The virgin birth. Theologically, the Bible teaches that the sin nature is passed down from the Father. Do you realize that? Death passed upon all men for they all sin. It tracks that back to Adam. Romans chapter 5 and 12. That's why it's essential that Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. So the, the theological ramification of this idea, well, there was no virgin birth, is that Jesus Christ was a sinner. You follow me? He had a sin nature just as sure as you and I do. That's totally unacceptable. Christ had to be born of a virgin. Otherwise, He inherited His Father's sin nature. And He's no different than any of us. The entire Christian religion collapses on that principle, though many people who reject it may be so ignorant of the faith that they don't even realize the theological point they're making if they're willing to chuck that to the curb. The final one is the resurrection. And I had some verses here I didn't get to, but we believe in a risen Lord. Sunday is the day we come to celebrate the risen Lord. Every Sunday, that's what we're here for. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if He's not, we don't have any reason to be here. None. There's no hope beyond this. If you're an ape, Jesus Christ is a sinner. All there is is the remaining ephemeral bubbles of whatever chemical reactions are going on in your skin bag that are going to last a little bit longer, and that's all she wrote. You're going to be dirt snorkeling, and there ain't nothing after it. How's that for a message of hope? There is no hope in that. You know, one of the amazing things that I find is if you start looking into what people who support evolution and, and promote science as the explanation for all things, one of the things you rapidly discover is that they have a hard time trying to build up a system of morality that's not uh, self-contradictory, right? Because they have no absolute moral system. So it's all relative. And if it's all relative, what does it matter? Right? I mean, it really doesn't matter. How do you, how do you oppose Nazism? I think mean, Nazism is like one of those things, everybody hates the Nazis. How do you oppose Nazism if in the end of it all, we're just a bunch of chemical reactions that don't mean anything and we're all headed to oblivion? How is that, any, how's that good or bad? Or, I mean, it's all just a bunch of people's opinions that don't amount to anything. So these ideas that are getting promoted, they're growing in society. More and more people are rejecting the ideas of religion. And I want those of you who are sitting under the sound of the gospel in this church to recognize, I don't want you to get too embattled in these discussions that are way downstream. We need to start way upstream and be like, we're starting from the presupposition that God exists and He does not lie and He's told us the truth in His Word. That's where we're standing, right? We proceed from that set of presuppositions and that's where the truth is. We believe in a God that works wonders. He was born of a virgin. 
He's able to heal people who have the palsy. He rose again from the dead, and that's where our hope is. We're all going to have to find ourselves saying, oh, we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to follow science. We're going to find people in our family who are like, I'm, I'm following the science now. I reject that there is a supernatural thing. Well, I pray this equips you to have some of those conversations. I, there's no point really in debating those things way downstream. You go way upstream with it. Say, look, at the end of the day, I believe there is a God. He works wonders. He was born of a virgin. He shall save His people from their sins. That's what I believe. And honestly, if you just believe it's all about the science, it doesn't really matter what any of us believe. We're all headed to a cold, dead oblivion that's not that far off in the future. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.